You know, being in a band isn't all buttercups and blowjobs. Maybe Pansy Division based solely on their lyrics, but still probably not. I like Pansy Division's song, uh, Look at All the Pretty Buttercups. Yeah. Look yeah. at all the pretty buttercups. There's also uh, James Bondage, 007 Inches. That's a good one. Fuck it, Like Bunnies. That's it's a funny when I do a fake one and then Dave starts naming real ones so everybody knows he's smart. Well, I thought... Smart? Is that what he's... Yeah, but James Bondage is a good song title. You know, your band is made up with members with different personalities, different perspectives, and very different opinions on how to start a podcast. If you're lucky (laughs) enough to get to the level that people want to come and see you play, you're eventually going to go on tour. You get your name out there, you see the world, you do it up, you party, trash a few hotel rooms, bang a few groupies, and make millions of dollars. Seems like a blast. But the road is a cruel and fickle mistress. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. It can be a lonely place full of people that think you owe them. And you know what? They're right. Because without them, nobody would care who the fuck you are. But it gets old and lonely and annoying. Artists have been talking about the downside of the road for many a decade. Like Bob Seger here. Exactly. Yeah. We'll turn the page. Today, we're going to follow them on that journey. We're going to talk about all the songs they wrote about complaining about traveling in a rock and roll band. I'm calling today's genre. This was supposed to be fun. Beyond your rock. Well, I'm depressed now. This is a Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We're the only podcast on the internet that makes up new musical genres, counts down the songs in those genres, the best ones from 10 to 1. I'm J.D. Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave. Hunter. And because we're the guys who've coined the term Yacht Rock via our web show from 2005, now Yacht Rock is on the tip of everyone's tongue, especially on Summer's Eve. (laughs) (laughs) I realize it's a douche. Yeah, you're being a real douche. Um, We we like to throw a bone to the Yacht Rock genre every time we do a podcast. Hunter, what is this song called? I'll tell, you in a, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, so picking out my last bone throw, and this is a reminder that tonight is the last genre ever. Mm-hmm. Unless we decide to do another one. We might do some other episodes. Ever. Ever in all of music, tonight is the last genre. Also, so this is beyond Yacht Rock Endgame. Yeah, I think technically this is the last bone throw. I mean, we always do it on the next one. But anyways. Thank you. Uh, Picking out my last bone throw, I kicked around a lot of stuff. Specifically, I was going to force another Olivia Newton-John discussion and was deciding be- between two songs, both duets. Uh, I shared these songs with young uh, master David Lyons. Yeah. And uh, he was unsure, as a whole, if duets were boat-worthy, uh, but conceded that it would be... <laughs> what? Such a dumb out of his ass opinion. No, I said I said for the most. This was a whole text conversation we had. Yeah, but and I said for the most part, the duets that we have rated have not made the boat, with the one glaring exception, which was what uh, Michael McDonald and Patty Austin. Yeah, no, Patty Austin and James Ingram. Yes, James Ingram, Michael McDonald's on the boat. 
Well, yeah, Michael McDowell and Patty LaBelle are on the boat, aren't they? Yeah. No, 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 they're not. No, no, oh, no, right. He sunk the shit out of it. Oh, yeah, so I gave it a 35. Fucker. But they, so this is the thing. While we're texting back and forth, I kept, I was like, every time he would say something, I'd be like, that doesn't sound familiar. And I'd look it up. And he did the opposite during a, a yacht or not. And I explained to Hunter that I've learned a lot since you, those early episodes. <laughs> He's like, and except my, the Patty LaBelle, Michael McDonald song, and I went and looked that up. I was like, you're the one that kept it off the boat, you asshole. All right, all right. Now, another song that you tried to force on me was Olivia Newton-John and Who? Doesn't matter. Some hot Doesn't dude. matter. We'll talk about it but later. But I had some good points on that one. He, <laughs> okay. he did have some good points, right. but it made it very clear. It's from the Xanadu soundtrack. Sounded like it made it very clear that Dave was not going to put an uh, Olivia Newton-John song on there. And so it wasn't a yacht rock song. Well, first off, he said it was, but no, I said there were parts of it. That he were said yacht it was rock. mid. He said, "Oh my gosh, guys, overall. save it for another kind of episode." He said it was mid fifty. I want to learn about this song. If he wasn't lying, I wouldn't have to correct him. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> so I decided I was throwing you a bone. <laughs> um, yeah, but he but Dave did concede this this part is true that if it was if it knocked it out of the marina. Like baby, come to me. That he could put it on the boat. Okay. So I decided to find a duet that knocked it out of the park <clears throat> to prove a point. And I decided on this song, "I'm in Love Again" by uh, Hami and Jarvis. It was too good not to bone throw. And uh, so here, so I'm gonna make a case for some duets, particularly this one. <laughs> um, I think they kind of make a. They're particularly boatworthy because anyone that presents themselves as, fri- as friends as well as lovers, along with predicting endless love and unending sexual attraction through song, that's a fool's errand, I, I, mm-hmm. I say, because you'll most likely end up like these two, Amanda Hami and or Homie and Brian Jarvis, so much in love doing a jazzy soul album, <clears throat> and then breaking, I'm assuming they break up and never heard from again. Uh, now oh, I, you're assuming. Well, okay. So I'm putting this together from photos and liner notes, okay. including uh, Amanda Hami's uh, website and a single photo of Brian Jarvis from a London photo archive. Only thing I could find out about the guy. <laughs> yeah, not a lot out there. Uh, and uh, I had help finding out that it was from London. So here's the story I crafted in my head. Uh, they were both uh, musical lovebirds from jolly old England. Because according to Amanda Hami's website, she is from London. Hmm. And according to the London Photo Archive, Brian Jarvis once had his picture taken. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Um, was him. Yeah. Uh, So he was a Lindrum programmer and songwriter. And she was an ambitious and beautiful singer of Indian descent. They fell in love, uh, excuse me, fell in lust, came to New York in search of a dream, were snatched up by Dave uh, Grusin. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Dave Grusin's jazz funk record label and released an album proclaiming their love. It didn't sell. They broke up. He disappeared off the planet, and she later performed a song for the love guru. Ooh. Uh, the movie. I actually, I actually think she performed part of a song for the, yes, the love guru movie, amongst other pursuits. And I will say that's what a fool believes. At least, in my estimation. So, uh... Yeah, this is uh, this this is a Dave Grusin production, production Grusin production, Grusin Groove, 
And uh, the album also features the talents of uh, Gino's brother, Ross Vanelli, and uh, Lee Rittenauer, uh, but not on this particular song. Uh, I think this, the guitar on this song is great, uh, so I'll throw out his name. His name's Ross Beck. He's a jazz guy uh, who played with the likes of Miles Davis, Buddy Rich, Paul Simon, and David Sanborn. Hmm. Is this the solo here? Uh, yes. And he also plays, you know. It's throughout the he, song. He gets a couple yeah. licks in there. Song. Yeah, I think this is a, this is a classic Hunter Cuspiat rock song. I don't have to analyze it totally. But I think I think the the yeah, this is more than cusp. I think really? I, I, this part. Okay, this part. This is the problem with one mm-hmm. problem duets. They have to go back and forth, so the the verses end up being too lovey dovey. Mm-hmm. But with a good chorus, which this has a good chorus and it also has a good guitar solo. All right, yeah. but listen, listen, listen to this part. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. That's tasty. Nice. The intro. The tasty chorus. The intro to this really brings you in. And that's what you're going to find that with most duets, which is why they're problematic, as mm-hmm. Dave would say, is that you got two people lovingly singing to each other, so it can't get too bouncy. You can't get too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too more, shuffly. It's a little more mellow mm-hmm. and sultry. But as soon as they get to that chorus, when they can start singing together. And this, this specific guitar solo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. And as soon as they get together in, in the chorus and start singing together, that's when the that's when they can pick it up. So, I don't think duets are 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 necessarily the best uh, example, but I think they, I think you can get a good duet on the boat. Oh yeah, for sure. And this is definitely would make the boat. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying it might be a song in the 50s or 60s for, with my score. But anyway, Dave, do yeah. you want? Hmm? Dave, what? Dave loved this, loves this song. I did. I would probably go high 60s, low 70s. Hmm. He wanted to know all about... Per- Only time Dave ever, ever ever texted me to ask about personnel was on this song. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Dave's been pretty unbusy, though, these days. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. You want to talk about your genre? Yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. So... You're in a van for weeks or even months on end. Real easy to get sick of someone. Especially... Wait, is this the right intro? Sorry, there's two sections. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no, I fucked it up. Hey, thanks, Steve. Hey! I did something productive. Ah, all right. Do I need to flip these songs around for you, Dave? No, no, I fucked it up. Um, I had a lot of different ideas before I landed on this genre. It goes back to the very first meeting that the four of us had about the podcast. The four of us met at Tex Restaurant in Echo Park. We started coming up with a list of genres that night. Hunter suggested one called I Swear to God I'm Not Having Fun, where bands are flat out lying about the fun they were having on tour. Songs like Beth by Kiss, where Peter Chris is talking to his wife from a studio. Hey, don't put words in my mouth. Probably while getting blown. The thought of that always intrigued me, but no one ever took it on. And Hunter's take fascinated me, but my take is a little different. Hunter, you may disagree in the songs that I've chosen. No, I agree. It's different. Yeah. But I, I think these guys might actually be miserable. Being in a band is supposed to be a good time. When you're into music, you make friends based on the bands you have in common, especially if it's obscure. I talked about this way back in the punk rock versus Neil Diamond. The idea that if you find someone with the same non-stream musical taste as you... 
there's already a bond, kind of like finding a Dio album in a dude's record collection or showing your Nazi tattoo in prison to find out who your friends are. What? Did you say non-stream? Nazi. No. no, non-mainstream. Did you say non-stream or non-mainstream? Non-mainstream. I thought you I said, said, said non-stream. Non and that's a sweet new word for not mainstream. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Dave. Good nice. slip of the tongue. I like that genre. Yeah. yeah. Non-stream. Yeah. Also, uh, guy it's called with a, punk rock. A guy with a bladder infection. So you start your band with <laughs> like-minded pals, develop your own group style and sound, and you start playing shows. Things go well, you go on tour. Sounds like fun. That's what this song is all about. This was originally written by the Ramones for the 1981 album Pleasant Dreams. It's called Touring. Eventually, after someone much smarter than the Ramones correctly stated this song is merely a medley of their other songs, they cut it. Later, after Dee Dee was out of the band and they were desperate for new material, they dug up this old turd for re-release on Mondo Bizarro. Wait, isn't every Ramones song just a medley <laughs> of all their songs? Maybe to the, the layperson. Is it like a good... 25% of punk rock, just a medley of Ramones songs? <laughs> well, if you're a dumbass, sure. It's about the spirit, Steve. <laughs> um, the song's all about how great touring is, which is what it should be. Touring, touring, it's never boring. Another brilliant turn of phrase from these boys. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's the reality. This Hold on. I think this might be the only one that I think is not full of shit when they say touring, touring is never boring. I think that these guys, I think it might have been boring for these guys. <laughs> well, first of all, they're from New York, so they were touring, not touring, like your Midwest ass. Um, but I don't think they were having a really good time. I think their touring is really more like this. All right, back to what I was saying before. You're in a van for weeks, even months on end. Real easy to get sick of someone. Especially if you're the lead singer and your girlfriend, Vera, who was always sitting next to you in the row of the van, suddenly moves up a row and starts sitting next to the guitar player. Later, they will marry. You write a song about it called The KKK Took My Baby Away, and it makes for a real shitty drive. Maybe your guitar player is pissed that even though you get to make a record with Phil Spector, Phil makes you play the same riff 42 times in a row in order to drive you away just so he can focus on the real reason he wanted to work with your band, and that's turning your lead singer into a pop star. My point is, shit gets in the way. You got nowhere to go. You're stuck with these other bandmates almost 24 hours a day. You take away all the comforts of home, and you're going to be miserable. Plus, there's nowhere to go and jerk off. And I can't stress this enough. There's rarely anywhere to shit comfortably, mm. and that can make for a pretty brutal trip. Mm. The one to two hours in stage can be great, but it doesn't always make up for the long and boring process of being on the road and shitting uncomfortably. This song illustrates it beautifully. Danny is Danny Fields, the Ramones manager. They're complaining that they're bored shitless waiting for Danny to tell them to go to sound check or an interview or an in-store. Meanwhile, they're stuck watching television in the hotel room. Do you know what these guys could have used? Stardew Valley on the Nintendo Switch. Yep. Dave it's, and I have been playing. Portable. I was going to say money. Listen, they have plenty of that, but Dave and Not I, then. we've been no, playing no, this no. game. That's why I don't believe the Ramones. This game is all about farming. It's a few years old. Dave yeah. and I recently discovered it, and we have been farming like crazy. Yeah, e-farming. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wave of the future. It's like a little Nintendo guy farming. That's basically yeah. what it is. Every band has a different reason for writing these songs, and I'm going to dive into them. Some really hate it. Some might be lying about it. All of them are looking for a comfortable place to shit. 
So for the next hour or so, depending on how much the rest of you guys have to add, I'm going to talk about the bands that played the songs, about how much it sucks to be on the road. Are you ready to do the countdown? Yeah. Let's do the countdown. Woohoo! Hey, it's episode 99. Yeah, you're uh, you're going to make that connection. You're going to notice these bumpers. I was inspired by Steve's bumpers last week, but instead of putting They were pretty inspiring, weren't they? Yeah, maybe not for the reason you think. (laughs) But um, Did you go into Ant-Man's wormhole last week? (laughs) I mean, this is... uh, This is... Oh, I uh, get it. Because it was like two months ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we don't record these in order. (laughs) Uh, Hunter, do you have anything you want to say off the top about this fan? No, but I'm going to clarify like the what I originally brought up is that it's. I think these are all songs of bands trying to convince their girl, wives and girlfriends back at home that, listen, it's a job. I'm just trying to put food on the table. I swear I'm not having any fun. And to show you, I wrote a song about it. You could, baby, I'm miserable. <laughs> I am miserable, and I guarantee Lemmy was just absolutely miserable on the road. This guy, this guy, man, he was always struggling to have fun. Well, I'm glad you brought up Lemmy. Oh wait, hold on. Wait, before you start, Lemmy's on the song. Ah, there you go. Didn't Lemmy used to be in Hawkwind? You know, if you would have even glanced at the document, Steve. <laughs> We all know this little classic by Lemmy from Hawkwind's sophomore project, Motorhead. <laughs> oh, shit, I was right. He we, wasn't Hawkwind. We are the road crew from the 1980 album Ace of Spades, and as far as I can tell, this is the most popular Motorhead song from that album. And I put this one at number 10 because it isn't about the band as much as it's about, get this, the road crew. That was a good joke on that. Ace, that was a good Ace of Spades joke. Thanks. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Uh, Road crews on tour with the band. These guys have the same trials and tribulations as the band, but they don't get to go on stage and burn off steam. Lemmy always said that they had the best road crew in the world, but you don't really hear many rock stars talking about how their crew sucks. Well, you know what? You know what? It does depend on how much the road crew sabotages the musical instruments. Yeah. Like, say they say they were fame a uh, fame hungry road crew. Mm-hmm. I'd set up these guitars with all sorts of little problems, like a. The like, strings ding off, and maybe the yeah, neck breaks like, in half. Then I have to run out and like maybe, wave to everybody. And maybe just, maybe rub a turd on the uh, the neck of the guitar. Yeah, and then Lemmy's like, "There's a turd on my guitar, road crew." And then you run out, you wave uh, at everybody. A dude that I uh, that I had worked with a while back was comes the turn on, on tour. The guitar story <laughs> was on tour with the Pogues, and Shane McGowan was pissing everybody off, and he insisted on having a bottle of wine next to his mic. So one day, my friend decided to push in the cork instead of pull out the cork. So it's sitting there whenever Shane would take a drink, the cork would get stuck and he couldn't get any wine out of it. Uh, and it did uh, did not go well. All you need to pissed. do is throw your uh, throw your road crew a little strange every now and again. They won't do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, a strange uh, place to... Yet another fa- fantastic life lesson from Lemmy. Don't piss off the road crew. Write a song about how tough their job is and show them the respect. You won't get your cork pushed in. Even though the song's about the road crew, it does talk about the downside of touring, eating junk, feeling bad. Another night I'm going mad. Woman's leaving, I feel sad. Boy, that was right along with the uh, the Sometimes that happens. I have a hard time believing Lemmy didn't pull from his own experiences to write these lyrics. What is even more interesting is the way he wrote it. 
Lemmy wrote this number in a studio toilet in Rickensworth, North London. I like to think, here's what I like to think. I think Lemmy was like, road crew, won't you make appointments with me? I have appointments available at 2 o'clock, 2.30, 2.45. I want you to come one-on-one into my trail. I'm going to interview you for 15 minutes about what life on the road crew is like. But I want to write a song in tribute to you. And yep. he took time. He took time to, to get to know these guys and to interview them, and he took copious notes. Could you repeat that? I, my pen broke. I got to get a new pen. Well, first of all, I think it was a quill. Yeah, it was a quill. I mean. Second of all, J.D., that may be your second best impression next to Macho Man Randy Savage. Thank you so much. That was really good. Thank you so much. I'm not used to hearing good impressions from you. And well, he's got a very distinct kinda, voice that Kind of shook me a little bit. Um, well, let me explain to Q Magazine, January 2010. This toilet was the only quiet place in the building. I had an idea and I needed somewhere to work it through. You know what that quote is about? Shitting comfortably. He needed somewhere quiet to work it through. And what he crapped out is this amazing song. Had he not had the comfort and the place to shit, we probably wouldn't have this delightful motorhead nugget. Um, you know, I, the road crew, I think, is, is a, it is another example, though, of like, you're, if you're in a road crew, your significant other could be jealous of you. I've heard stories of road crew guys mm. fucking groupies like crazy on the road. Of and wives being jealous and angry. Well, in the, uh, the porno Millie Vanilla, the whole premise was the girl had to get through all of the road crew in order to get to the band. Mm. So, yeah. like most art, it reflects life. Uh, but this shitting comfortably thing is a big deal. Hold on, let me get back to shitting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys ever hear the Shirley Manson story of her having to shit in a paper cup at a festival because there was no bathroom backstage? Yeah, you told us that one on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it gets rough out there, but there is also a Shirley Manson story because I tried to check my facts. Uh, but it also talks about her shitting in her boyfriend's cornflakes as revenge. So maybe it's just her. But I promise you it is a real concern on tour. Okay, here's the thing. I find that a little hard to believe. Not the bathroom part, but the fact that nobody had a plastic cup. It might have been a plastic cup. I took some uh, liberties with that part of the story. Well, paper cup is a real lot different than a plastic cup. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I'm it sorry. Is, one of them makes got, a big difference. a lot more dangerous. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I did. so wait, so we don't know if it was paper or plastic. We don't. Maybe it had wax. And maybe if it was I recall, wax paper. if I recall the story, it was in Germany, and I want to think that they probably had like a wax paper cup, 1994. I mean, that's so small. Or Not like a, a Dixie cup, but like a McDonald's cup. Oh, okay, okay. Or a stein of some sort. That would have been perfectly fine for. And she did say cup and not a glass. I feel like if it was a stein, she would have specified. <sighs> hmm. It's a mystery. Go to the next song. Breakfast at Shawnee's at two ninety-nine. Number nine. I don't think we've ever had the Scorpions on the show before, have we? I don't know if we have. I know I talked about them in uh, Heavy Metals when I pointed out they've been a band since 1965. Did we do a Scorpion song on that show? No, but I think the Scorpions came up for some reason. And I maybe because "Send Me an Angel" sounds like the Scorpions. Maybe. Hmm. I think that was probably it. Hmm. But I mean, think about—they've been around since 1965. Yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've never played one of their songs. It's a shame. They're great. 
And was, three. Was, so yeah, thank together. you for getting them in the podcast yeah. last minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, and this is a good one to have. Oh, I love this yeah. one. Uh, this is the first CD I ever bought with my own money. Uh, three band album covers with uh, these guys, and I'm pretty sure it's a record. Uh, Virgin Killer for showing a naked 12-year-old girl, although there was a tasteful glass crack effect over the naughtiest of her bits. Love, or dri- Love Drive? Love Drive, which Love shows drive. a couple in the back of a limo where the man is removing his hand from the lady's naked breast, except the skin is stuck to the guy's hand and it's stretching like two and a half feet away. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's the skin? Band album cover. It's not like bubblegum? No, I think that's her, her titty skin. Oh, weird. And finally... She pulled the old prank you like to do. And yep, yeah, I sat in gum. Sat in gum. <laughs> yep. uh, <laughs> She's like, I laid down in gum. And the guy's yeah. like, Ugh. Yeah, it's like pulling, pulling her titty skin. Um, and then the album cover for this one, Love at First Sting, which shows a naked lady's side boob and contains the song Big City Nights. Now, I thought everybody knew who the Scorpions were, but a few weeks ago I was in Palm Springs <laughs> with my mom and her realtor looking at houses. The realtor told us that we needed to be aware of scorpions in some of the areas we'd be visiting that day. And I said to her, I said, why is that? Does Rudy Shanker have a place around here? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I wouldn't I, have gotten that either. I looked at my wife for any sort of acknowledgement. She assured me that she could tell by my excitement that it must be a very funny joke. <laughs> but maybe a couple ladies in their 60s and 70s weren't the right audience. Immediately texted Tony and Dave, uh, they responded with uh, enthusiastic ha-ha-has. But it was really some bullshit, and I'm starting to have second thoughts about my mom moving to the Palm Springs area. Wait, if somebody texts you ha-ha-ha-ha, I don't think it's enthusiastic. It depends how many ha's there are. That's true. How many ha's were there? There was actually more to it than that. Uh, Tony and I started a whole conversation about the Scorpions. Dave wrote, you're a long fucking way from the Sunset Strip. Well, was, it doesn't sound like ha-ha's that, at all. That's way me. different. It's different. That's a different ending to your story. That wasn't like, ha-ha-ha I felt all. like I could just tell you that my friends were into the joke and we could move on. I didn't think you were going to put it under a microscope. But also, ending this story with you texting your two friends, terrible way to end a story. <laughs> terrible way to end a story. It was a good ending when like the old ladies didn't get it. Huh. That was a good ending. Yeah, but those old ladies... that. They're not that cool. Yeah. He needs to tell us about his friends. They don't know who friends. the members of the yeah. Scorpions are. I, I had the payoff is that I, I got oh, you just somebody had... paid attention to me. I can't get Tony <laughs> to respond to any of my texts. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's rubbing it in. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Hunter. Uh, anyway, the song tells another story of being on tour, either Rudy or Klaus, depending on which one wrote the lyrics. Longs for a specific woman or feeling. Seems to be looking for her replacement every night in every city, but it's not working out. He can't find anyone anymore. He's looking for love, but there's no girl who's burning the ice away from his heart. The dude's lonely. Does he have someone special at home? I don't know. They didn't write a song about that. At least not one that I'm aware of. Yet it seems he doesn't have it too bad. Hunter, you may think this is one of those, I swear to God, I'm not having fun, and I think you might be right, and here's why. Nice thing about the love... words in my mouth. I, I said I think. Hey, are you are you gonna analyze this for the comfortable pooping? Yeah, I think I might. Have you done this? Have mm-hmm. you, is this coming up? Okay. Yeah. Because I have a theory too. Okay. Well, give me your theory. Have you guys ever been in the big city at night? Yeah. Out yeah. And about oh, yeah. New York City. You're mm-hmm. gonna try. You can't poop comfortably in nope. big city at the night. In the no, nighttime. not at night. During the day, you find yourself a nice bookstore. Yeah. Those are usually pretty uh-huh. good. Yeah, like a ho- like a hotel lobby, but like mm-hmm. they charge a cover to hotel lobbies with a. 
with a party going on. Yeah, they got some the DJ city. in yeah. there spinning. So yeah. Well, here's the thing about the Scorps at this time. They had their own hotel rooms and a schedule that allowed them to play multiple nights in a city or have a day off between cities. In 82, when the song was written, they were touring Japan. Eight shows in five cities, 12 days. Basically, uh, the length of uh, space between New York and Detroit. That's the area they were traveling. These guys were staying in hotel rooms, and they had a, they had a nice toilet. And if they were in Japan... They probably had a really nice toilet. One of those robot toilets. Yeah, that sing to you and have like the oh, heated yeah. and the the they air got, the air drying option. Yeah, if, got, you think, yeah. if you think they All didn't have controls. those in '82, they sure did it. But it was more like the robot from Rocky IV. Yeah, that just it just kept saying "Happy <laughs> Birthday, Polly" over and over again. <laughs> Happy Birthday, Rudy. Uh, but you talk about shitting comfortably. I cannot recommend these toilets enough. In fact, I like the Woodbridge Toilet and Luxury Elongated One-Piece Advanced Smart Seat with temperature-controlled wash functions and air dryer, a steal at $759. And if this is anything close to what these guys were shitting in, they didn't have it too bad. You know, they Temperature-controlled wash functions. Does that mean it's like a heated bidet? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so and there's, like, functions for the front or the back, male or female. Oh, okay. If you're a male, you do not want to hit that front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Depends on how dirty your bowels are. Yeah, but, you know but, what? There's, but well, the one I used, I, I guess it was set on, the setting was uh, graffiti removal. <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, caused a yelp. Um I, so I have a, I have some toilet. Speaking of toilets, I have some toilet seat advice for all you people out there that maybe rent your homes, rent apartments, and you don't let your friend JD get drunk and use your bidet when he's filming a TV show in your house. Yeah, well, that's a different thing. But I, <laughs> I want to talk because um, I'm serious. Because when I moved into this house that I'm renting now, the toilet seats were terrible. They were plastic and cheap, and like I'd have to. Oh yeah, sit, I got one like that you have, myself. You have to sit I have on some, them. I have similar advice to Airbnb owners. I had to, I had to sit on them. To to give my kids baths and I'd like sink into the seat. It was yeah. terrible. Oh, you're talking about the lid. The lid. The lid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the seat. The seat. Mm-hmm. So I just yeah. went to a hardware store mm-hmm. and bought a couple toilet seats for 40, 50 bucks made yeah. out of solid wood. wood. Great. Oh my god, my life is so much better. And nice also, toilet and seat. also they they close slow. They yeah. close slow so they don't bang. Yeah, they're not gonna slam down on your balls. It's like. It's like the smallest luxury that can improve your life so much, and you're not yeah. even thinking about it. But I want you to think about your toilet seats, and if you can upgrade them, for the love of God, do it, people. I'll tell you you're one. Talking thing. my wife's language. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you one did she, thing. Did she want to upgrade the toilet seats in your oh, Airbnb my, for the longest time? Then we finally did, and it would change our lives. Did you yeah. get better reviews? The first, well, no. That this was at our. That's is, how you get that is, fifth star. This is where we're renting. Oh, okay. And then as soon as we as we open the Airbnb, she's like, "We're swapping those bad boys out because no one's." using those cheap toilet seats. I will tell you a downside about those wooden toilet seats. They're joined together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a tubby friend that sat on one, cracked it, and then because of the way he sat on it, it cracked and then pinched back together. Got his Ooh. ass skin right in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Blood blister. Anyway, none your, of us are... <laughs> your buddy? Yeah. None of us are tubby, so we're okay. Let's uh, kick it... Uh, what are we, number seven? That was good toilet seat advice, oh. JD. Thanks for bringing that up. Number eight. <laughs> see what see what I'm doing there? You already explained it, yeah. so yeah. I mean, yeah. Seems like you followed through. Yeah. Oh, I, I turned the wrong page here. Uh, 
Not sure why we haven't talked about Queensryche before. I'll just read what you wrote until you find it. Yeah, all right. I was going to say that this is possibly because they... Oh, wait, I got it, I got it. Okay. Uh, that not, that not impression sure why we... sounded awfully a lot like like me. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we've we known each other a long time. We probably think yeah, I guess it just People a, say we all sound alike. Vocal yeah, nuances. Cacophony in, yeah. in my head. So we haven't talked about Queensryche before. I was going to say that it's possibly because they really don't have a lot of material. But then I looked it up, and as of Sunday, April 7th, 2019, they have 15 studio albums, including Operation Mindcrime 2, a sequel to 1988's heavy-handed rock opera concept album that took the world by whatever the opposite of a storm is. I remember when, when that was a number two came album. out. So I'm, I'm going to reconsider the reason we haven't talked about Queensryche before. Possibly because they don't have a lot of good material. <laughs> I'm mostly kidding. Queensryche has sold over 20 million albums, and Operation Mindcrime is considered by many to be the best heavy metal concept album of all time. But here's another band with 15 albums in a career spanning almost 40 years, selling millions of records, and my knowledge of them is barely two albums deep. Operation Mindcrime and Empire, which includes this song, Jet City Woman. I mean, to be fair, that's the two albums that anyone would know by Queensryche, and the rest is like... Two out of 15? Specialty stuff. Not good, not, not good odds. Okay, I, and, and, I knew two. Operation Mindcrime and Operation, Operation Mindcrime 2. That's the only ones I knew. <laughs> you knew Empire. No. They had the, the building empires. I didn't no. listen to a lot of Queens <laughs> Queensryche, sorry. Silent Lucidity was on Empire. Okay. Yeah. Know the song. There you go. Know that one. Yeah, yeah there you Everyone go. can play that on guitar. Now I know it's on, I, now I know there's an album called Empire. Yep. Um, Jet City Woman. Have you guys ever um, been to Jet City and hung out with a native woman? No. Uh, yes. What's it like? It's every time there's Jet City has a ton of comfortable places to shit, a ton. But when you're hanging out with a woman and you go to shit, she always like you. I gotta go to the bathroom. Are you gonna go shit? She's always asks, and if you go, uh, yeah, then she grabs you and like takes you out. We're gonna go somewhere else. It's that's why they call. It, that's why this song is Jet City Woman. Queen's right guy has 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 been there. Where does she take huh. you to shit? You see, I have a. She, she doesn't let you shit. I have a whole. Oh. Di- I have a whole it's different a thing take on with why the culture this is, at Jet uh... City. It's a, that's a culture there. It's weird. Hmm. Maybe Never that's why they have date. such nice places to shit. Is nobody shits in them? Yeah. At least nobody who yeah. is getting laid. This path, guy, path this, less travel. This guy that's totally got in, snuck his way into one of those, and that's where the silent lucidity came from. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Well, in this song, lead singer Jeff with a G, Tate, is missing a very specific woman, a Jet City woman, if you will. Now, contrary to what JD found, I thought Jet City referred to Seattle since it's the birthplace of Boeing, and Queensryche hails from Bellevue just across the lake, plus Jeff with a G's girlfriend at the time was a flight attendant. I thought that might play into it. Oh, so he wasn't a, he wasn't at Jet City. Well, I got that. my theory is totally wrong. Here's my thing: Jet Shitty. <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> my my theory is pretty simple. It's 1989. He's been on tour for months and misses this woman. Queensryche has successfully toured the United States, and after a few gigs in Japan, and they're great toilets, he's ready to get back to the United States, where the toilets are better than what they have in the South Sudan, but nowhere close to the luxury of a heated bidet that remembers your personal settings, plays music, and features a light show. He's sitting in an airport in Osaka, ready to board, and son of a bitch, his flight is delayed. He probably has to shit, but airport bathrooms are gross. All the dude wants to do is go home. 
There's no private jets for Queensryche. He's at the mercy of the commercial airlines, sitting in the terminal, longing for his lady, who will use her flight attendant status, travel down to San Diego, meet him for their first show back on American soil. Fuck the music, fuck the tour. He wants to be with his girlfriend named Sandy that he would later marry and divorce. My theory. They should have done a concept album about that. Yeah. I'm not having fun on the road, I swear to God. Then she found out that he was was lying and then they got a divorce. Well, he was having a lot of fun on the road. Tate's second wife would become Queensryche's manager, much to the chagrin of other members. (laughs) 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 They as a band decided to fire Tate's wife, which led to Tate becoming a real bitch. Wait, this is the plot of Spinal Tap. He destroyed equipment and threw punches, which ultimately led to his removal from the band. Queensryche getting a new lead singer, formal, former Crimson Glory front Matt Tom Latour, and kept the name. The very first release with their new singer, Operation Mind Crime 2. <laughs> Fuck you, Jeff, with a G. <laughs> Jeff Tate always amazed me vocally, uh, the Duke and Whale. He opened Dio's funeral with a cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And there was not a dry eye in the chapel or in the large lawn outside of the chapel, which is where dirtbags like Steve and I were sitting. Yep, that's true. We were way out on the lawn. Mm-hmm. Got sunburned that day. I wasn't expecting he opened Dio's funeral. Yeah. It was beautiful. Jeff with the G. Yeah, him and uh, Glenn Hughes from uh, Rainbow and Deep Purple really fucking knocked it out of the park that day. I get him making, because of Silent Lucidity, which is kind of all I, I get know Glenn about. Hughes from Deep Purple and Rainbow confused with Glenn Hughes, who was the Leatherman in the Village People. Is that what you were going to say? No, I was just going to say I get I get Jeff from Queensryche confused with the mm-hmm guy from Crash Test Dummies. I sort of the 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 mm-hmm video and the Silent Lucidity video. I feel like they're both sitting on a stool. And they both have long hair and kind of bad posture. Yeah, and then these was, low voices that they're right. singing with. I, I'm pretty sure one was black and white. Silent City was black and white, right? No, yeah. I think it was color, but it was like a, there but was, it was a, like nighttime because it was a blue palette. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We'll never know. Yep. Number seven. You used a punk rock version of that song. Yeah, it was number seven, uh, seven seconds. Oh, okay. See what I did there? Could have upped the gain on those bumpers there, Dave. I have never edited audio before in my life. This was my <laughs> first attempt. The fact that I was able to even put them in uh, the Dropbox was what, what did you? What program did you use to edit the audio? GarageBand. Okay. Terrible program. Um, all right. I want to get into the kind of touring that I'm familiar with, where you're just in a van for a really long time. Real easy to get sick of people shitting in public bathrooms across the country, trying to sell enough shirts to make gas money just to get to the next town. In fact, the sale of one shirt can mean the difference between grilling hamburgers or sharing peanut butter and jelly at that night's campsite. But most likely, you're sleeping on someone's floor, taking a shower when you can. And there's no place to jerk off. No. That's why there's uh, showers backstage in a lot of the smaller venues. Uh, that's where Lagwagon was in 1992 during release of their second album, Trashed. The song's called Going South and just starts with a delightful clip from Bobcat Goldthwait's criminally underrated film, Shakes the Clown. In fact, all of his movies are underrated. Shame on you, everyone. You know, my friend tried to get me to watch that once, and I just wasn't, wasn't I feeling it. I wasn't feeling it, but I also might not have given it the chance that I should have. 
It was good. That came out, what, like 91? 90. I think it was later than that. I, think, I feel like it was 94, I but I could be so, wrong. I don't think so, because this album's 92. I thought they, it was, oh. They they have a sample. I think it's 91. Maybe I just saw it in 94. I thought it was mid-90s, but yeah, maybe I not. think it's 91. I know it's 91. Uh, Lagwagon sets the scene in this song. You'll we'll never know. Now. Even staging this little breakup here. The guy says, drop me off at a Greyhound station. I'm going home. No commercial flights for Lagwagon. Just a bunch of dudes in a van. Somebody wants to leave. They have to go through Greyhound. They're talking about driving all night, just to try to get to the next town, having a guardrail wake you up in the middle of the night, designating a driver before the show, and the line, it looks like we'll sleep here. Very indicative of what it's like to be on tour at that level. Where, where, do, where do you think they jerked off? You know, I got like some stories. I got some stories about... Oh, uh, boy. I bet you did. Not this band, but another band. All sleeping in a floor in some room, and the host just comes in with a roll of paper towel, rips off a paper towel to each one, turns off the light, and says, go for it, guys. <laughs> How romantic. Yeah. You know, it's like those famous Beatles stroke sessions we've all heard about. Oh, yeah, we've, heard, we, we've all heard about those now. Uh, yeah. Fucking bands, they jerk off together. God help you if you're the only girl in that band. <laughs> I know a couple bands that are all guys and one girl. I feel bad for those women. Are the women the bass players? Uh, no. The oh, two, the two good. I'm thinking about were trumpet player and co-singer. Oh, okay. Gambler yeah. from Proto Men? That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, she's married to one of the guys in the band. Yeah, it's so a little better for her. And better. also, they're like, adults. Yeah. It's not like yeah. a bunch of 22-year-olds trying to jerk their way across the country. <laughs> Well, Lagwagon got a little better after their following album. We were able to move from a van into a tour bus. I spent a lot of time talking to a friend of mine that's toured in bands around this size and currently is a tour manager for a pretty well-known indie band. And he painted a picture of what it's like once your band gets to that next level. You get a tour bus or an RV with a driver, but you're still shitting in public toilets because there's no number two on the tour bus. That is a rule. And there really isn't a working shower on the tour bus. You should consider it about as useful as showering in an emergency eyewash station. You rely on showers at the venues, or sometimes you get a day room at a local hotel so everyone can shower, shit comfortably, and maybe jerk off if there's time. These are luxuries on tour. You sleep on the bus. It's a moving hotel. You go to sleep in one town, wake up in another. You don't get to see the sights unless you have a day off. And God help you, like I said, if you're the only girl in a band. It's horrible. There's the idea of nonstop partying, but that's rarely the reality. Tour buses are usually set up with a lounge in front, series of bunks, and then a lounge in the back. Four or five bound members, two or three crew, nowhere to go. Uh, you get a little bit bigger, you get a bus for the, the road crew, but you're still shitting at rest stops next to a fat guy with cowboy boots and a terrible diet. And this isn't Lagwagon's only foray into this, uh, this theme. Genre. Yeah, if you remember the song Sleep from the Gleam genre. Oh, that was a good yeah, genre. Yeah, it's about how much touring can suck. He's on the phone, bitching to his girlfriend. The van smells like a dirty sock. Everyone's got the flu. Rather be sick of you. Mm -hmm. You get the idea. That's That one fits this. I don't know. What, what are they talking about in this one? It's just touring sucks. Okay. JD, next time you get up to go pee, yeah? don't do it during the punk song. I know. I, I didn't realize it was a two-hour or a two-minute song. I... I uh, Really had to pee real bad okay. in, in, into my toilet, yeah. and I lifted up my wood seat. Another thing about 
changing your toilet seat, don't be intimidated. It's much easier oh, it's to change. So easy. You think, I'm not very handy at all, and it was a breeze. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta you gotta figure it out exactly how it's hooked on there, but once you do, it's a breeze. Yeah. I got some newer ones. Uh, Bemis is the uh, the uh, company that makes them. And it's a special seat that you can lift it off for cleaning, and then it goes oh. back on these pegs. That one was a little more complex, but yeah. you figure it out. Yeah. So if you're having girl problems, I'll prepare for your son. Got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hit it. Number six. No, bitch ain't Hit one. it. You went into a r- r- Oh, my red God. <laughs> But I mean, if you're gonna do if you're gonna do 99 theme bumpers, you can't leave that one out. Yeah, yeah. Dave could. It seemed pretty obvious to me. That's crazy. Well, oh, I'm. It's fucking ice. I'm tea, blown man. away. I'm blown away. <laughs> I don't. I'm not even. I still. I'm still not entirely sure wasn't, Dave knows what rap is. Wasn't that Jay Z? It's uh, what you do at the end of a project. You have a party. Okay. Yes, yeah, Jay Z too. Jay- it's like a popular rap. Jay Z sampled it from Ice Cube. Uh, Ice T, excuse oh. me. Oh, is that Ice T's version? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that one with the original I one. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. solid move. Well, yeah. He was me, in body count, so let me uh, let me teach the you a little test. bit about hippity hop. <laughs> okay, here we are with a super sarcastic, snarky song by the Who. This is Postcards from the Odds and Sods album. It came out in '74, but was originally recorded for the maxi single '1970. It's one of the John Entwistle pen jams that tend to be criminally underrated. Boris the Spider, I'm looking at you. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So he was like the Ringo of the band. Yeah, except his songs, except he was really good. He, he wrote all the goofy songs. He, yeah, he wrote his own stuff. Yeah. And he was very talented yeah. at it's his like the instrument. Guy, it's like the guy in Queen who wrote, I'm in love with my car. I was like, that <laughs> yeah, <guy."> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, was that in the movie? I think it is. I haven't seen the movie though, but that's always I like. I think it was in the movie for a little bit. When I think of Queen and listening to their albums, that's always what comes up to well, why I don't like to listen to Queen albums is because you get songs like that on on there. <laughs> I am although not... in love with my car is kind of a sweet fucking song. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Queen. Um, there, I, I said it. I, I think that's incorrect. I no, it's, it's an incorrect stance. It is. It is correct. Another I am Dave actually Lines not a huge fact fan. again. Yeah, that is a very correct fact. Uh, where are we? Oh, some of the lyrics here. They're just bitching about everywhere they're going. Great piles of spaghetti, bad vibes like confetti in Italy. Go by train and not by plane. No uh, no private jets for the Who either. Um, you know, later in the song, they talk about how they got kicked off a commercial flight for just drinking beer. Something tells me that's not the entire story, but that's what we get from the song. I like how he rhymes spaghetti with confetti. Yeah, it's a good rhyme. Because after that, he just goes to train, plane, car, far. Yeah, well, yeah. those are out of order. I bet you know what? You know why I bet the Who got kicked off of that plane? I bet Pete Townsend was touching a little boy in the penis. Yeah, I get into that in here. If you guys had even scanned the document, this is an excellent example of how awful touring could be. I said the song was recorded in 1970, which makes me hypothesize it was written the year before in '69. The Who played 122 shows that year, and that's down from 258 shows in 1965. 258 shows a year. I looked at the schedule from uh, 69. They got about seven weeks off, all in one week bursts throughout the year. That's absolutely grueling. Oh, you know, to my defense, mm-hmm. even if I had scanned your document, mm-hmm. I would have, st- because that's the only Who material I have. 
Is that it's a Pete well, Towns is a pedophile and the band it's, is it's shitty. It's the kind though. of thing. It's it's not like we're going back to a well. It's what you want to talk about when you talk about the Who. Yeah, it's what I want to talk about because I think the Who is disqualified. Yeah. Well, are they canceled? Canceled. Here's some fun research I dug up. And what I wrote here was real research, not that Pete Townsend brand of research. <laughs> February eighth, nineteen sixty-nine. Oh, that—that that was the that, that was, was. Well, then you, you didn't have to call out my thing. All right. On February eighth, nineteen sixty-nine, the Who wrapped up their Who sells out tour. On February fourteenth, six days later. They kicked off the Tommy tour on Valentine's Day. Mm. And just so you know, the album Tommy wouldn't come out until late May. And the movie wouldn't come out until six years later. Imagine being a casual Who fan on April 2nd and 17 out of the 25 songs (laughs) are from a rock opera that won't come out for another two months. (laughs) Listen, I love Tommy. I put on Tommy with a couple people in this room. And let's be honest. There's some dead fucking weight on that album. Yeah, but when it pops, it pops. Yeah. So the Who went on... Excuse me. The Who were a decent-sized draw at the time, between 1,500 people a night for an eight-night run, like at the Fillmore, to about 5,600 at Royal Albert Hall. Still not huge. I guarantee that along the route, someone had to take a shit in a bag, and probably not just because they wanted to leave it in the mailbox of a shitty local Kalamazoo ass metal band. It sounds like there's a story there. Not really. There was a band in my high school that we liked to terrorize. They That's play ass metal? Oh, yeah. Terrible. They were called TKO, and oof. Man, they were rough. Plus, they were mean to us. <laughs> That's, uh, That's Met- all I got. Metal versus punk. Mm-hmm. The eternal feud. Yep. I'm doing it, guys. We've been we've been listening to Mark Rivers' excellent theme music for our mid-episode segment since pretty much the dawn of the podcast. You're a hero. But since we started doing the soundtrack bit at the dawn of 2017, we've never actually covered the song it's modeled after. So for my last soundtrack segment, I'm doing Eastbound and Down by Jerry Reed from Smokey and the Bandit, the legendary car chase comedy that made Burt Reynolds a superstar. Made more money than any film that year except Star Wars, and is basically a movie-length advertisement for Coors Beer. Mm. I just saw it at the New Beverly Cinema recently. Uh, how was it? Man, it's such a fun movie. I it love the really movie so is. much. So hashtag problematic, though. <laughs> there's a lot of iffy things. Some of them make sense, but there's things like Sheriff Buford. All the truckers, they all know about... Uh, Bandits being chased by Sheriff Buford. And right, because the CB radio. CB right. radio was a big fad back then. They're all rooting for Bandit. And so Sheriff Buford, T. Justice, he gets out of his car and opens the door. And then a truck comes by to knock off his door. And they, they show the driver, and he's Japanese. And he goes, and everybody knows that's a Chinese song. They do, and they do that <laughs> exactly. In Cannonball Run too. Like every time they cut to Jackie Chan's, oh yeah, body, they do the do. It's it's insane. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy at how far we've come in 40 years. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really quite remarkable. 
Did a little it did 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 really did a little it did 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 did. That's not even that's not even turning Japanese starts too, isn't it? The vapors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that isn't even a Japanese or Chinese thing. That's an American thing. Yeah, it's like 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 our version of Chinese food. Yeah, like American Chinese food. Yeah. General Sang's chicken or whatever. Did a little it did did did. Give me a fucking. Is that from a larger piece of music? No, no, it just became like, I don't know where it was first used, but kind of like a breakfast at Tiffany's when uh, Mickey Rooney would come in, sort of like that's okay. all it was ever for. <laughs> if anyone knows the origins of let me know. I know a guy can ask. I don't know how to Google that. I don't know how to Google that. There's a guy named Andrew T. who's from Michigan. We have a lot of mutual friends, and he's got a podcast and a Twitter account called Yes, That's Racist. I bet he knows where that song comes from. Did a little it, 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 it. Hey, start that song over. Eastbound and Down. It was a number two country hit. It was Jerry Reed's third biggest behind When You're Hot, You're Hot, and Lord Mr. Ford. Didn't make the official pop charts where his biggest hit was the top ten. Amos Moses, who was about a Cajun guy who uh, hunted alligators or something. Other Jerry Reed songs you may have heard of include his early compositions, Guitar Man. Oh, that song, Guitar Zan, he's a guitar man. That is a jam. I didn't know that was Jerry Reed. Jerry Reed's full of jam. Yeah. He's got, so he's, is Ray he's Stevens. He's so full of jam, he could be a... Peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. He's, got, he's full of more jam than a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> it's a snowman coming at you, bandit. Well, I'm coming right behind you, Rio. My uncle had a CB, and his, uh, his handle was Chicken Choker. And I, at, at five years old, I didn't understand why everybody thought that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Eastbound and down comes from, the title comes from CB Lingo also. When you say you're down, it means you're still listening, but you're done talking. And then it's kind of like a trucker sign out, which direction you're going, and then you're kind of signing off. CB Radio, big, big friggin' thing back in the late 70s. So Jerry Reed wrote Guitar Man and U.S. Male, as in the gender, both covered by Elvis Presley in his lean 60s years. Those are both porno titles, too. I would not be surprised. Uh, He also wrote Pretty Mary Sunlight. That's the song he sang for his guest appearance in the Scooby-Doo episode, The Phantom of the Country Music Hall. That's a good one. I don't remember it. Uh, that had the scene where they uh, were chasing each other back and forth through the hallway, and then they came out through the wrong doors. Yeah, and then they came out through incongruous doors you wouldn't have expected them to come out of. Exactly, that's the Got one. Got all mixed up. As, as he would in several other films, Jerry Reed plays Bert's sidekick, Cletus Snowman Snow, who drives the actual truck filled with illegal Coors beer. And Bert plays the cool guy who gets to drive the cool black Trans Am as a decoy. Bert's character nearly screws everything up by being so irresistibly cool and driving such a cool, fast car. But Jerry saves the day by crashing the beer truck through the great big final roadblock. Also, I have not seen this movie in a very long time. I don't know what the hell else happens. It's a, There's a lot of car chases. You got it pretty right, except... Um Bandit doesn't screw anything up. He's perfect. Yeah. Just the, the, the number of police after them gets so overwhelming that Snowman had to come in at the end for a final bit of heroics. Well, I always good, preferred the second one where they were smuggling an elephant. 
I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I don't think I have either. It's pretty good. The only one I remember is the third one with Jerry Reed. Yeah, taking over as the bandit. Yeah. Because I haven't. That was the last one I watched. Boy, that one's due for a, a reboot. Not good. Oh God! Don't please don't reboot that. Don't. Yeah, you get Johnny Knoxville. I have an to idea play the for bandit. a reboot later uh, in this section. Don't reboot anything. So, oh, uh, one more detail about the, the before I move on to the uh, the plot of the movie about the beer. There's one other detail about the song I forgot to write in here. Uh, Jerry Reed co-wrote this song with uh, a guy named Dick Feller, who I could have sworn I'd put a segment in the podcast earlier about Dick Feller because I remember researching Dick Feller. Uh, hard to get a more masculine name than Dick Feller. But uh, as it turns out, later in life, Dick Feller came out as transgender and uh, is now uh, now works under the name uh, Dina K. Rose. And I should have been like Badge Lady. Yeah. Yep. Um, but she, I believe, there's, I can't remember if there was a book or just an article. I didn't click all the way through the Wikipedia because I was at work and I ran out of time to research. But anyway... We'll get into the story of Dina K. Rose. It seems like it's very interesting, and I'm not capturing it at all here. All right. As a result of America's archaic post-prohibition laws about alcohol distribution across state lines, Coors used to have this forbidden fruit type of mystique because for a century or so, it was a regional Western product only available in 11 states. And that's why that's, this is the plot of the movie. they got to get Coors to uh, Georgia it was very important that the beer was Western because that's where cowboys are from. And rednecks all across America wish they were cowboys, even though they are not. Yeah, they or that they played for the Dallas Cowboys, which they could not. I wish I wish more people would stop dressing like cowboys and would start dressing like the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Or like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. <laughs> I would love to see guys starting to dress like the Gal Absolutely. Dallas. Absolutely. Cowboy cheerleaders. It would make life so much more amusing. Oh. Up until uh, just a few years ago, the top breweries in Michigan, Bells and Founders, had not secured distribution agreements with the state of California. And before they finally came out here, I found a booze superstore out in East L.A. that usually had individual bottles of Bells in stock for like six bucks a pop. And it was never clear to me how they got them. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to ruin a good thing. But for me... At Christmas time, I would haul as much Michigan beer as I could back in my checked luggage. I had an elaborate packing method where I'd seal it up in a gallon Ziploc bag, and I'd stuff that into a sock, and I'd put the socks in the middle of a folded-up shirt, and I never lost a bottle. This is why it takes him a fucking week to pack. Yeah, yeah I, I told you it's an intricate operation. Back in the early days of the podcast, we're trying, when we tried to get schedules down around Christmas time, he was like, I can't. I can't record the night before I fly out. Two you weeks, were like no, it was three, two weeks, three out. days before we're recording. Two weeks out. It was I got a pack. Time. It was a long time out, but now we know why. He's got systems. I had yeah. systems of packing. It probably had to do with gifts you were bringing home. Oh yeah, family. I had. Yeah. I mean, I got so many goddamn family members. I got to bring gifts home for everyone. You know, I'll send some of them through Amazon back to the home address. But see, what, you know, I still got to bring like half of them home and make sure they don't break or anything. What we do with my wife's family is we just do like a gift exchange everybody pulls a number price limited twenty dollars there's too many fucking people can't buy christmas I mean, presents we've, for everyone we've got too many fucking people but we just don't do that needy fucks <laughs> i now, hate christmas now that there's a new generation where i've got nieces it's a little less elaborate it's well, more it's different more stuff when there's them. kids it's yeah fun but now that for me that just means more stuff 
Many, many other craft breweries are also, uh, also like Bells and Founders, largely regional products. Some are even confined only to their own states due to concerns about freshness, quality, and or limited brewing capacity. Not to and mention this, interstate alcohol laws. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier with uh, Bells and Founders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Coors. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's right. I drew it all together, I think. I hope. Uh, so anyway... Because of those laws, I think we're missing out on a golden opportunity for an all-hipster remake or reboot of Smokey and the Bandit, where the soundtrack would be just sad indie singer-songwriters who use banjo, and it would have to star Michael Sarah driving a Prius of some sort, and some guy with a beard, like maybe Zach Galifianakis. Sounds like a movie from seven years ago. But are they doing car chases? Yeah. No, I'm just saying th- these actors... I think Johnny Knoxville is your uh, your Burt Reynolds. Uh, even that, it's kind of old. I don't even know who's in comedies. I guess it'd be Jason Bateman, and <coughs> excuse me, Jason Bateman who's in every comedy, and Jason Sudeikis. That would uh, that's who would be in it. Please don't do that unless that's in there. You got to do that unless that's in there. And Larry the Cable Guy could play the sheriff. Oh yeah. Every, everybody everybody he's, in he's the hipster audience would every, already hate him. So Every bit as funny as Jackie Gleason. <laughs> well, that's, that's Eastbound and Down, fellas. You got any, anybody got anything else to say about Eastbound and Down? Yeah, I, I, I remember we, when Coors came to the... Broke, uh, broke the the Mississippi, and uh, it wasn't that like the mid '80s or something. Yeah, it was uh, mid '80s, and and I the and only we reason, all got to tap the Rockies. Only, the only reason I remember is because they had a really cool plane, the Silver Bullet plane oh, was yeah. shown off. Yeah, they showed that thing off, and it came to Flint, and that was the best moment of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Bells came to L.A. a few years ago. I was drunk for like a week. It was glorious. Yeah, Larry Bell came out and was uh, uh, that whatever that Hollywood bar is. We, Blue we, Palms. Yeah, we went. Yeah, and went and saw him, and I had a real nice talk. Yeah, he's a good dude. Makes a fine product. Uh, I I got plug plug hole plug hole plug hey. hole plug hole. Hey, I'm gonna do this. Is fun. I'm excited about this. This is why I'm doing it in the old plug hole spot. Maybe you should say which one of us you are, so the audience isn't confused. I'm JD Riznar. There you go. I'm going to do a Yacht Rock and Yacht Rock adjacent DJ set with Mason Butler of the Cruise Control Radio Show at the Northeast Yacht Club in Minneapolis, Minnesota on Saturday, May 18th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. It'll be... Wait, hold on. It's gonna, <coughs> it'll be fun. It's got cheap drinks and free admission. Ooh. Are, you, are you billing yourself as DJ JD? Sure. Great. And here's a free admission for you guys. I jerk off into Kleenex, and I highly recommend it. I like a good sock turned inside out. Well, you don't uh, have to wash the Kleenex right exactly. in the, the garbage. Kleenex you can just throw away. The sock t- makes more that laundry. Doesn't, nah, that doesn't. That doesn't. You take you take four or five Kleenex. You, yeah, yeah, you can't get away with one. Here's the thing. The whole process from beginning to end is in the Kleenex. Free admission. Imagine how many more there'll be. Puffs Plus? Do you ever... Yeah, that one has the lotion. 
I've never. I've, yeah, I the Kleenex are for clean I'm up. Sure I, I'm sure I have. But a, yeah, but you don't want to get chap. You don't, aloe? You don't aloe? want. You don't want a, a dick chap. Um. Hey, imagine all the fun that we'll have together in Minneapolis on Saturday, May 18th, from two to four at the Northeast Yacht Club. Me and oh, home Mason of Garrison Butler. Keeler. Gonna have some real yacht rock. Bring him, a, bring him a box of Kleenex. Yeah, bring me a bring box, a box of, Kleenex. of Kleenex. You get in for free. He'll, and be, also he'll be on tour. There's no place to jerk off. Expired condoms as well are a fine jerk off tool. You can't use them to have sex. <laughs> yeah, and that way get the lady pregnant. And that way you don't give yourself an STD. Yeah. Okay, I'm. I got out of the to- out of the thing. So there's a random song playing now. Sorry about that, everyone. You don't. You don't have to wash your it's hands good, after you pet, a, pet your neighbor's dog. <laughs> okay. No, I put a lot of this song in here because this might be the. This is a great Camaro Summer song, JD. He's got his old man Chevrolet. Oh yeah. Party in his pocket. You know he just got paid. And then he says 99, because that's my... Is this all from New Jersey? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good album. Yeah. All right. The year was 1971. This band was even bigger than our last band, The Who, or The Woo, as my French foreign exchange student used to call them. <laughs> this, uh, this is from the Rolling Stones album, Sticky Fingers, and let me start by talking about that album. Casual listener will know Brown Sugar, which I didn't look up, but I feel comfortable saying that uh, for this album was the best performing song on the charts. I believe you're correct. I believe that yeah. was a number one hit. Yeah. But there's much better songs on there. Can't You Hear Me Knock and Sway and Dead Flowers in a three-way tie for my favorite. Bitch, Sister Morphine, and I Got the Blues, all top notch. You Gotta Move is great, but it's kind of the equivalent of vocal blackface. And uh, finally, this tasty little gem. Isn't Mick Jagger the equivalent of vocal blackface? Yeah, but he's really laying it on. Oh, okay. On this, on it's like it was fine in '71, but now it's a little dee 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 dee. Jesus, it's a good song. It is a good song, but who you were trying to impress? No one. I'm just. I went through the whole album and I used to call blackface. Is that a thing now? Vocal blackface is what I call it. Oh, excuse me. Vocal. I guess blackface is musical in its origins. Yeah, the minstrel. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Moonlight Mile. Like The Who, in 1965, uh, they were playing an insane amount of shows. 230 shows. By the time they were recording this in 1970, they only had 23 dates on the books. I'll talk about more why these numbers go down so much in the next song, but I'll give you a sneak preview of my thesis. It's because touring sucks. All right, just another mad, mad day on the road. Even though it was written in the studio by a couple of Micks, Jagger and Taylor, it certainly captures the lonely monotony of the quest to bring music to the masses. Fun fact, Keith wrote the main guitar part and just called it Japanese thing. Because it was a little D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. I'm not making that up. And uh, sort of threw it away. Mick and Mick collaborated and worked it into the song with Taylor suggesting they add the strings. When it came out, the writing credits were Jagger Richards. Real kick in the sack to Taylor. That's what he gets for being boring in the band. Yeah. Yeah. Try heroin, dude. Come on. 
It's obviously about missing home, but there's so much more to this song. At the beginning, he talks about a head full of snow that a lot of people believe is a reference to cocaine, but Jagger denies this. <laughs> I probably would, too. <laughs> but this, in conjunction with the line, made a rag pile of my shiny clothes and the repetition of I'm hiding, kind of makes me think this song is about the fellow behind all the rock star that we see on stage and read about in the papers. Just a dude that wants tea and has to shit in the same toilet as everyone else on the plane. Sure, they're traveling by private jet at this point, but these aren't 747s. They're small, and if you take a shit, everyone else on the plane knows it. Very unpleasant. And if you're coming down from heroin, like maybe some of the band members were, you don't have time to wait for the sole bathroom on the plane. That's an emergency bathroom situation, and you need to get in there. Do you know if there's a rule about not shitting on the jet like there is not shitting on the tour no, bus? No, there isn't, because the jets have like that suction... like. Tour bus bathrooms are just a little bit more than an outhouse. Okay. Uh, they've got chemicals in the tank, but when you flush, it kind of opens it up. It's it's a real messy thing. The drivers don't want to have to clean it out. It's always broken. Yeah. They always say it's broken. Yeah, the drivers are like, oh, it's, yeah, number one only. Fun fact, this is the first Stones album to use their famous lips and tongue logo. Yeah. And even more of a fun fact, they're now available as urinals. And I included a photo in everybody's notes. Oh, yeah, look at that. A oh, German a urinal shaped like a lips and tongue. A German designer, of course, made it so you can piss in a mouth. Oh, those Germans. <laughs> there were some groups that complained that it you was... You could poop in it, too. Yeah, you could. It's big enough. There were some groups that complained that it was sexist and misogynistic. Hey, and that could be a man's mouth. Well... It's clearly Mick Jagger's The designer mouth. pointed <laughs> out that she's a lady and that the original logo was based on a mix of the Hindu god Kali... And Mick Jagger's mouth. Blasphemous, maybe. Sexist, no way. Good song. Number four. <laughs> Good really, job. Really dig that jam. Coming in at number four. No, this isn't Buck Cherry. It's oh, thank God. ACDC's It's a Long Way to the Top if You Want to Rock and Roll. The song that does nothing but bitch about everything you have to go through on tour just to get famous enough to sell records. And in ACDC's case, they formed in 73, released their first album in February of 75, and dropped their second album featuring this jam in December. Both were only released in Australia, but they had played 227 shows before their first record dropped. I want to talk about why bands go on tour then versus now. The original idea of rock tour was to spread the word about your band, get more airplay, sell more records. First you, do it, first you do it locally, you build a following. If you're lucky, an established group would ask you to support them, and you would gain more exposure, like when ACDC opened for Rainbow in 78, or when Led Zeppelin opened for Country Joe and the Fish, <laughs> or when Ambrosia opened for us. That's a good point, because Ambrosia did open for us in, yeah. what was it, New York? Brooklyn, yeah. The Brooklyn. Ballhouse. Yeah. This is why you will see over <laughs> two... And we didn't do nothing. <laughs> we screened, our, uh, we, we screened our little webisodes. Yeah, they drank all the beer in the green room, too. This is why you'll see over 200 dates from the Stones and the Who back in 65, just trying to get the word out. Back then, the money was all in the record sales, but records don't really sell anymore. The only way to make money is go on tour, with the largest returns being ticket sales and merch sales, not necessarily in that order. That's why all the merch prices have gone up by like $10, $20. Yeah, also the uh, the venue takes a takes a cut. Ugh. 
Uh, there's always TV and movie licensing or starting your own fashion line of perfume, but that isn't available to everyone. Don't think we're going to get that Buck Cherry cologne anytime soon. Although, and this is 100% true, out of curiosity, I went to Buck Cherry's online store, and they do sell a hot pink thong that says crazy bitch on it, but it turns out XL is the only available size. It's unclear to me whether they sold out of the smaller sizes or if they just know their fan base and are targeting that very specific I, I, demographic. I think by now, they, they've made a few orders and they realized what sells. Yeah. What AC I mean, if you're Buck Cherry, by now you definitely know what sells. Yeah. <laughs> when ACDC was touring in 74, they were mostly in the 200, 2 to 300 mile radius around Sydney, hitting Melbourne and Newcastle. But they'd also do shows in Perth, and I don't know if you know a lot about Australian geography, but that's about the same distance as Los Angeles to New York. A long way to go for a month of shows without an album to sell. You throw in Brisbane and holy shit, that's a lot of groundwork to cover. However, when their first album, High Voltage, came out in 75, it sold because of the legwork they'd already put in. Wait till you have to go to Tasmania. Hey! Oh, by uh, the way. The old Mappa, Mappa Tassie. Speaking of Australia and how great Australia and Australians are, I recently watched a series <laughs> of commercials for an Australian beer, and goddamn it, I forgot what it was called. But it was from the I got it was from the seventies, and they're so funny, and they're they're really dry, and they all take place in the outback. Did it start with an F? No, it was like a and with an Osters. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Fosters. <laughs> was it Coopers? Was it what? Does Coopers have a longer name? I'm pretty sure. I keep talking about Australian. Fosters is Australian for beer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only one. Yeah, but that's American. Yeah, that's as American as D D D D D D D D. Yeah. Let me uh, let me talk about this. Doesn't get any less fun here. <laughs> let me talk about this 40-hour drive from uh, Sydney to Perth. You're basically driving across a country in a van with some extra rolls of toilet paper. While there's small towns along the way, the odds of coordinating five guys' shit schedules to the times a service station might be open is non-existent. These guys shit in the desert. No doubt in my mind. That's fine when you're 23 years old and excited to be on the road, but that's not something I want to do now. And listeners, that's why we here at Beyond Yacht Rock have never toured Australia. Oh, well, I, I, That's I, the I reason. haven't toured it because I was racist against Australians until a couple of months ago. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you turned around on that. There's yeah. uh, there's some good folks. It's been a lot there. of healing since then. Yeah. yeah, we've all grown, except for with Olivia Newton John. Yeah, she could still go to hell. I didn't really talk too much about the band because you know who they fucking are. A couple of brothers. One recently tragically died of dementia, but the most most famous death, of course, was of lead singer Bon Scott in 1980 in London. Where, as I was told by listener Jason Malmberg of Sacramento, Scott was decapitated by a train. Tragic. Oh, my gosh. Gone too soon. Yeah. Was that the last thing you have to say? That was the yeah, skip. Oh, were you going to mention the bagpipe solo? Yeah, it's my favorite song with the bagpipe solo. I know what you're thinking. What about the Dropkick Murphys shipping up to Boston? And I'll tell you to go fuck yourself. That's not a solo. It's part of the song. Still haven't found this Australian beer, but I'll get there eventually. Yeah, we'll, we'll find then it. Then when I find it, a I'll say this. Yeah. That whole thing was just foreshadowing.
number three. Did Social Distortion cover other country songs besides Ring of Fire? Uh, I think they've got a few. Well, um, I was just listening to uh, Not I Was Wrong, one of their songs today. It's the exact same chord progression as Dead Flowers. Uh, this song, more than most on the list, really captures the permanent grimness of constant touring. Another punk song. Castlemaine Forex. That's the beer. Castlemaine Forex commercial from the 70s. Very funny. Very oh, dry. Wow. Very fun to watch. Castlemaine XXXX. That's how Forex you know it's is. strong alcohol. <laughs> wow. That's like better than porn. Yeah. Porn's only got three X's. No, not the way I do it. This song is from 1966, and boy, oh boy, did Simon and Garfunkel already hate each other. Everyone knows this one. It's Homeward Bound from the album Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. I chose a live version from the Greatest Hits album because it's the first one I knew due to one of my first CDs from Columbia House. Oh, I did Columbia House. Yeah, it was great. Everybody yeah. did in Columbia fact, House. In fact, speaking of everyone knowing this song, JD, I'm going to ask you to back this up on my cue to the beginning. It's a super famous song. People at the Simon and Garfunkel concert they're going to know this song by the opening notes. Back this up now and listen to how long it takes them for the crowd to come in. So the crowd's going. They're going to start playing. Listen. The crowd just gets it. <laughs> Maybe they had to flash the applause sign because everybody was like mellow. Are you telling me it's taking them 10 full seconds of this hugely popular song to recognize it? Well, they were t had to take their pants off. This was a clearly a, a rockin' show. This is a jerk jam. <laughs> Woo! This was their first... That's what I came here for! Their first top 10 hit. The recording's on their greatest hits, but I'm 80% sure it's from the 1970 concert at Carnegie Hall, which is the last time they played together before they broke up. Several reunions, but they were all contentious. Times filled with hateful rage, but seriously, fuck this audience. No reason it take that long. Uh, the first feud came when their first group, Tom and Jerry, released an album, and their producer asked Simon to record a couple of additional songs separately from the group. Garfunkel felt betrayed, pulled Simon aside, and said, no matter what happens, no matter how far we go, I will always be taller than you. All of the music at that point flopped, and they went their separate ways. This is 1958. They reconnected in 63, got a Columbia deal. They recorded Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. Nobody gave a shit. Sold 3,000 copies. They went their own ways again. After some uh, Simon Solo stuff got started getting played in Europe, an American DJ did a rock remix of Sounds of Silence, and it became a hit. So they got back together, recorded the second album, made them stars. By the time the song was used in The Graduate, they were already rich and famous. And speaking of The Graduate, Michael's Nichols' next film, Catch-22, was supposed to have parts for both of them, but then Simon's part got cut. More beef. Goes on and on, but they basically hated each other the entire time. Kind of like Keith and Mick, or Johnny and Joey, or JD and the rest of us kind of thing. Imagine oh. being stuck on a tour bus, or a train, or even an airplane with someone you can't stand. Hence the song. I'm kidding. J.D., we love you. Speaking of J.D. and the rest of you guys, I just farted again. And if you guys smell this, I apologize. Well, that's all right. That's, you, you're, you're, you assuming, a, you're assuming my role. Interrupting farter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're busy this time, so J.D.'s got to yeah. assume the role I while you're I appreciate you picking up my fart, my fart slack. Don't you have a comfortable place to shit down the hall? It is pretty comfortable. Yeah, I don't know if I have to shit right now. A lot of, a lot of little kid clothes on the floor. Yeah. But... I 
still very comfortable. They got Except that applause that. right as soon as that. <laughs> yeah, they clapped at yeah. the end. They yeah. knew when to come in. And <laughs> okay, he's sitting in a railway station. Ticket for his destination, you get it. He's in a train. You ever try to shit on a train? It is not fun. Like on, on top? No, 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 in the train. So. Yeah, yeah, I tried it. New York City, you know, the seven. Oh, yeah. it's not a fun place to shit. <laughs> yeah, you got, you, watching got, you. you got to keep ducking because <laughs> you're in a tunnel. Yeah, the gold line. Um, it's not fun. Because of the movement, people that stand up to pee have worse aim than usual. You're basically walking into a piss-splattered room with a wet everything. Sometimes even the, the toilet paper roll. Your other option, waiting for the next train station. That's not a good idea. Still a public restroom, and you risk the train leaving without you. No one wants to shit under that kind of pressure. Maybe he had his own sleeper cabin, but I doubt it. Your best bet, you go to the dining car. You ask for an empty bread bag. You tell them your hand sanitizer bottle broke, and you don't want it to get all over your backpack. You go into the bathroom stall. You shit in the bag, clean up, tie it off, slip it down the front of your pants. It will feel warm. Slowly make your way to the observation deck at the back of the train. When no one's looking, you whip it into the night. Homeward bound. We all know why he wants to be home. Thoughts escaping, pretty obvious euphemism for shitting. And he wants to do it in his own bathroom with his music playing. And his love is his own toilet. And it lies waiting silently for him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot to think about there. I don't know if this song's about touring, though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, he's on a tour of one-night stands, got a suitcase and guitar in hand. Oh, okay. Every oh. stop's a oh, but this neatly more... planned for a poet and a one-man band. This is one like Woody band. Guthrie. Yeah, this is a different kind of thing where, like, these other guys are complaining about the prof- their professional rock and roll tours. He's more of a traveling sort of songsman, sing- songsman that he's, doesn't really... He's a troubadour, he's really. He's, he's just he's a, hopping trains with hobos. He's a poet in a one-man band. He's riding the rails. You yeah. want to shit with a bunch of hobos? Well... Well, okay, so instead of a bread you, bag, you untie your bindle stick. Problem is, you hop off and you see some of the notches that the hobos left on the on the uh, posts, and you don't know if somebody's gonna kill you, yeah, or you're gonna have sex with the <laughs> farmer's daughter. Yeah, that could that could be a hobo curse. You could be. Uh, you don't know what kind of be, shitter that's gonna be. You could be, be like. getting your pipes cleaned. You just don't know. There's hobos got a lot of language. Yep. Never heard of it. Comes after 98. Huh. <laughs> Number two. Oh, holy shit, I got goosebumps. He wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. But it's true, I do. It's true, I wrote it, but I, I was I was thinking. He, was, he could see the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got goosebumps when I wrote it. And as we know, if it's on the page, you have to read it. <laughs> Were you even listening to the songs while you wrote it? Absolutely. You just have this to. This song's goosebumps. on in my house all the time. <sighs> this is probably my second favorite song on this list. Is that why it's number two? Could be. Or maybe it's a shit reference. Who knows? This is the song <laughs> "Wasted Years" by Iron Maiden from the album of the same name from 1986. Neither the album nor the song ever charted, but that's fine because Iron Maiden isn't a band that defines himself by chart placement. In fact, they're one of those bands that still belong to the fans, and I'd say probably the biggest band in the world to accomplish this. Not a lot of radio play. They're just known 
being a kick-ass rock band. People love them. Yes, they do. They're very popular with, with the, the humans. Worldwide. Right off the bat in this song, they're singing about their travels, so we know they're on tour. By the third line, Bruce is talking about how he's a stranger to himself, how things he says and does seem like someone else. The kind of message that we're getting back to in Moonlight Mile, it's the idea that rock stars want to just be themselves and not have to keep up this image of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And to be fair, Maiden really wasn't ever about the sex and drugs, but you certainly get the idea. This chorus is so good. This is such a... It just, yeah. it just sounds like a regular metal song, and then it goes into this chorus. It's beautiful yeah. and unexpected. Yeah, um, I got some fun facts about this song. It was written by Adrian Smith, and he didn't want to show it to the main songwriter, Steve Harris, because he thought it would be too mainstream and melodic. He ended up accidentally playing it for him when he didn't get to tape it, uh, didn't get to the tape in time to turn it over, and Steve loved it. And I personally think it's their most accessible song, maybe next to Run to the Hills. Also, you're going to want to check out the YouTube video for this song from the German music show PIT. They're supposed to come out and pantomime the song, like, the way you do on live shows back then. But that just didn't jive. About a minute in, they start swapping instruments, and Steve Harris is on the mic, and Bruce <laughs> is screwing around with the guitar. <laughs> and these guys were... Sounds like those guys had a good shit in the backseat. Kind of having fun. Probably a real nice green room. Yeah. I mean, it was in Germany, so, you know, there's a lot of yeah. high-tech options. For, yeah, and yeah. people... They, they might have... People want to make sure you shit comfortably because they're going to want to collect it. Right. Do, do whatever stuff. they do. This is where I start to wonder about how much the tour really sucks for these guys. When you're playing in front of half a million people, you're flying in for a day or two early, staying in the finest hotels, and there's someone hired just to show you around. I can't speak for Iron Maiden specifically, but most bands at this level even have their own private chef. These guys are shitting comfortably. Maybe not in 86 when the song was written, but they sure are now. In fact, they travel on their own 747 named Ed Force One, and Bruce is flying the goddamn plane. The bottom of the airplane is the regular business class and coach seating, but the top has individual suites for the band members. And I'm willing to bet each one has a toilet. Wait, so they sell? Do they sell seats on Ed Force? No, it's, it's for the crew. The crew. Oh, okay, it's the crew. and then the, and the um, equipment contest, and everything. And too, contest right? winners. Yeah, probably contest winners. Probably friends, family. You know, the more I think about it, this song is more of a lesson to the other songs on the list. It's saying, "Don't waste your time being depressed about this shit." You need to realize you're living in your golden years. These guys aren't having a bad time at all, and they still like each other. They're still friends. They still screw around. They were originally going to call this song Golden Years, but they didn't want people to confuse it with the Bowie song. <laughs> Bowie? Yeah, Dave Bowie. God, I love Iron Maiden. They also didn't want to think it was about oh. old people. Oh, they're singing about Golden Years, though. Yeah. Yeah. I like that there's a documentary about them playing around on Ed Force One. Yeah, Flight 666. Yeah, it's, it's really good. good. It's really, it really is. Um, I was doing, I was working on some sort of heavy metal thing at some point in my life and getting into all this music, and Lee and I watched uh, that documentary, and neither of us were very familiar with Iron Maiden, but we were wrapped. Yeah. We loved it so much. So if you've never heard Iron Maiden, a great way to get into them is to watch that documentary. It's, it's also really exciting to see them play these places where they hadn't maybe played before. Like they played, mm. they have a live album. A lot in of Brazil. South American. Yeah, and stuff. half a million people would show up, and people are just crying and weeping, like yeah. like people like seeing the Beatles in '65. Yeah, it was really cool. Mm, three, four, Six, four, seven, five. <laughs> 
I don't think they did anything in five. Eleven. Um, wasn't sixty-five the uh, Shea Stadium concert? Maybe. Maybe that was a little bit into it. This one goes on for a bit. What, what band is this? Screeching Weasel. Okay. I got a fun fact about nine. I'll share in a minute. One. You guys may know it already. So the number nine, okay? Anything you multiply. That was a really good tease. Anything you multiply by nine, the answer adds up to nine. And that go if you yeah. multiply two million six hundred forty two thousand six hundred and twenty two by nine, the answer, if you add up every number, will will equal add up, it won't equal nine, but it'll equal say like eighteen. 54, 27. You add that up and it equals 9. 99. It's, it's crazy. It's not, guys, JD's been watching those math magicians again. No, I think <laughs> I think JD has a nine-year-old. I'm trying to teach him <laughs> how to remember his nine timetables. And I knew the fun fact. I knew that like nine times one through nine times ten added up to nine, the answers, you know. But I didn't know it went beyond that. And we took out a calculator and we we're holy shit. He was like, fucking shit, Dad. Yeah. Junior was dropping the F-bombs like nobody's business. Yeah. Both, fact, my I, kids, I think... both my kids are walking around these days going, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Your daughter called me a cunt. Yeah, I bet she did. <laughs> All right, of course this is number one. What kind of insane asshole would I be if I didn't make this number one? This is Faithfully by Journey. You'd be a pretty insane asshole. God, such a beautiful song. We'd lock you up. Yeah, I woke up uh, in uh, in Palm Springs uh, a couple weeks ago. I had uh, the condo to myself. My people I was staying with were out golfing. And they had a baby grand piano. And I, I don't know how to play piano. And I sat down and I started figuring out how to play Learn the song. Learn faithfully. Trying to play faithfully. And I was really excited with my progress. And I sent it to JD. And, of course, he just shit all over it. Just like, oh, wow, you learned to play an easy song terribly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I, uh, I wrote back, I knew I could count on that, sta- that Riznar standard of support. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, my neighbor's been playing, uh, uh, unfortunately, it was lights on mm. piano for the past seven years. Yeah. Good to hear that a lot. Yeah. Could be worse. Still pretty good at it. I have uh, to request faithfully. Here's what it was. It was Dave, look look what I did this morning. Okay? Look what I did this morning. And then he sends me his fingers on keys playing this. And I said, played an easy song poorly. Cool. Tell your mom I said hi. Now, so. for somebody who's never played a piano, I thought that was after like. 15- I thought that was fantastic, Dave. Thank you, Hunter. I don't know what why JD's such a dick he all just, the time. He's, he's just angry. Why well, he has to? Yeah, that's why it's us against him. I gotta cut people down. The more I cut people down, the taller I am. Yeah, yeah I don't know true. why you have to live your life like that, JD. Hey. He's got a Garfunkel thing going on. Yeah. We're all Simons. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Okay, this is a song of a man on tour that desperately wants to be back home with the woman he loves. Wondering where I am, lost without you. If you focus on the video, and I always do, you get a real idea of the loneliness. Shots of buses and semis pulling in and out of cities and venues. 
a slow dance reunion when your wife shows up backstage, and probably most powerful, Steve Perry shoving his, shaving his mustache. <laughs> that is great. That is a powerful image. Yeah. I have a theory about that, and I'll get to it in a minute, but first, let's review. What's really great, too, is that you're watching the first half of the video, and you're like, why the fuck does, does Steve, Steve Perry, Perry have, have a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a and, publicity photo with him with a mustache. And what's great is if you just go on YouTube, it just picks a random freeze frame, probably from somewhere, probably from the very middle, mm -hmm. and it's just Steve Perry with a mustache, <laughs> and, it's the, and he's on the phone. Uh -huh. And that's the image I have when Gene meet Gina calls. <laughs> Just Steve Perry with a phone. She has the same one for me. It's fun. That's um, why so my live journal avatar was a different picture of Steve Perry on the phone. Yeah. 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 Guy loves phones. <laughs> uh, I got a theory about it, but I want to review. Uh, tour bus, no shitting. Have to pull the entire convoy over to find a bathroom. That's two tour buses and five semi-trucks. I drive a 4Runner and frequently have a hard time finding parking for that, let alone seven semi-sized vehicles trying to pull over so people can shit. So in the video, we see him on buses and at one point on a private plane. Private jet has a better shitter than a truck stop. Not ideal, but it'll do in a pinch. Here's my beef. These guys, more than any other group on this list, are really laying it on thick to their significant others. In fact, John Kane, who wrote the song, said, basically, it's a road song. You know, I'm being a good dog out here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let me focus on that don't worry about it. Don't worry about it is what JD says to me when he's bored with my line of questioning or he thinks I'm too stupid to know what he's talking about. Hey, don't worry about it. But these guys are up to some hijinks. <laughs> well, he's really letting them fly on you tonight, <laughs> <Yeah>. JD. <laughs> Loving a music man ain't always what it's supposed to be. These guys are boning around. Back to my theory about Steve Perry's mustache. Remember the story about Motley Crue rubbing egg burritos on their dicks so their lady friends couldn't smell the other women's shejiz on their dongs? Remember? No, remember I don't that? remember yeah. that. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah. and I was like, why don't they just wash their dicks? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You're, 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 I mean, sometimes you're, sometimes your it's dick, musky. It's also like, your dick smells like a burrito. Oh, I'm a clumsy eater. <laughs> yeah, no, Tom, I was fucking the burrito Tom, to warm Tommy up for you, I, baby. Oh, no, no, no. It's Tommy and I were double-ending a burrito. No, your yeah, your dick smells lights back your then. Dick, so. Your dick smells like a vagina. No, no, no. We fucked a burrito. Yeah. <laughs> and I am not lying to you. <laughs> now, let me get back. And, let me get back to the and mustache. you did invent the portmanteau of shiz. Yeah, she jizz, I said. I know, but shiz is better. Okay. Steve Perry sa shaving his mustache. Same concept. People okay. call the mustache mm -hmm. the flavor saver. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to get caught. Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious if you ask me. It's a pretty great theory. So he has his mustache so he can eat all he's, sorts of pussy. On right. The road. He's a very giving and lover. Ass. Yeah, pussy and ass on the road. Just yeah. stink that mustache yeah. to, to high heaven. He's got a little <laughs> stink caterpillar on his lip. <laughs> and keep that smell there so he can just sniff it yeah. all day long. Yep. Remember, he's Steve fucking Perry. And shiz, then, these, these groupies have been getting moist the entire show. They land in Cleveland where Sherry's parents live, yep. and Sherry's going to come visit. He's shaving that mustache off. Yep. With it all evidence of all the ass and pussy eating he's been doing. Yep. Ah, but what a beautiful song about being on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and how it isn't always as fun as you thought it would be. And there's no better song to wrap up what may very well be my final genre podcast 
When I first met Hunter, we were on a bus in central Mexico and started up a conversation about Journey. We became friends. First time I hung out with JD was at a party at his apartment. We bonded over Dio and Journey. We became friends. Steve was at that party, joining in the music conversations with all kind of great informational takes on Journey and everything else we listened to. And again, we became friends. So in conclusion, gentlemen, it has been fun. Thanks for a great time. Oh. Dumb. Here, here. Also, <laughs> here, here. It was supposed to be fun. I uh, I want. I haven't plugged this yet, and it's a couple weeks old now, but I was on Julian McCullough and Me- his, his lover Meg's podcast. Oh, yeah. What was Meg's last name? Meg Malloy. Malloy, yeah. Um, it's called Soft Spot, and they had me on to talk about Journey, so it's a whole hour of me and Meg and Julian talking about Journey. It's it's a great listen. Go and listen to Soft Spot with me on as a guest, and we talk about Journey, and it's lovely. It was nice. Of, it was nice of you to take Dave's um, sweet and emotional ending and make it about you. I think it's the ending's stupid. <laughs> it's like he's never gonna see us again. It's like ne- we're gonna keep doing yacht and yachts and shit. And it's like. But he was talking about the journey that we've been on. I know, but it's dumb. Yeah, but I was on this other podcast. (laughs) It was great. It was the podcast I was born to do. It was just like, hello. I got to talk about music on that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk for a while. Goodbye. There's no sentimental crap between a bunch of bros with history. (laughs) (laughs) Love you guys. That's how I deal with goodbyes. I have a co-worker that recently left. Very good to me. He's always been very good to me. He's a line producer. On I shit in his fucking hat. Kicked him in the ass. <laughs> told him to get bent. <laughs> I told him the next guy's better than you. He's from Ohio. He loves every sports team from there. And he recently had a kid. So to say goodbye, I didn't go to his goodbye party. I didn't go to his office goodbye. I skip all that crap because I hate that shit. But I tossed him a onesie that I had custom made. It said Ohio sports team that he could put on his son for any any sport he wants to watch with him, and that's that's what I do. It's a it's a there's a sentimentality to my hatefulness about sentimentality, hmm. but not it wasn't that's there. Maybe, that's why maybe that's someday why I'll maybe someday I'll work with you and I can see it. Yeah, it wasn't there with Dave, but I'm telling you, there's that's a why dr- you rooted out of all the yacht rock lyrics. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Like when you talk about how something isn't Yara because it's too sentimental. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that shit. What didn't make the list? Oh, wait. I want Turn the Page by Metallica. <laughs> that was going to be my original My original intro was going to be Seeger and then Metallica. Well, here's my... Because Metallica was way sexier than Bob Seger. <laughs> That's <laughs> not saying much for yeah. Bob Seger. Bob Seger's got a lot of shit in his beard. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure that they had sexier ladies boning them on the road. So that, that disconnect between the complaining and all the fun they were having was wider than it was in the Seger's version of Turn the Page. Absolutely, and I'll tell you why. Seger was calling the shots. It was Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Metallica, where they all have to get along with each other. What Bob Seger said was the lay of the land. Yeah. He was like, hey, Alto Reed, quit drugging girls and trying to fuck them. You better believe Alto Reed checked his shit. Yeah, everyone off the bus for three hours. I'm going to take a shit. Yep. Yep. Um, I picked uh, Grand Funk Railroads. We're an American band. That's not what you wrote. Grand Trunk Railroad. We're an American band. 
the most honest song about touring and being a rock star that I can remember at that moment. And it should have been called, We Don't Have Any Girlfriends. <laughs> I think that song should become our new national anthem. We Don't it's Have about, Any Girlfriends? It's about, no. Well, yeah, because then you can bone like real Americans. We don't have any girlfriends. Woo! We're available for banging. I was uh, going to turn that into a Karate the Band song saying, uh, we're coming to your town. We'll help you party down. We are Karate the Band. <coughs> but it was a terrible idea, so I didn't. Hey, doesn't Bob Seger have like 10 or 20 other of these songs too? Like Traveling Man? Or oh, Roll Me Away. The one well, that's written away. on your fucking shirt. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's a, a motorcycle song. A lot of rambling songs. Yeah. A lot of rambling. Traveling down the road yeah. songs. And that was my original uh, last genre was going to be about rambling. But I like this one better. Um, next episode is the Yatsky Awards. We're going to reward all the best yacht rock songs. <laughs> Real legit it's a thing we decided to do. Man, it's going to be so good. Hosted by Quincy Jones. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> the Yatsky Awards coming up next. The episode, episode 100. 100. Beyond Yacht Rock. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm dying, everyone. Go to Yacht Again, Rock. he makes it about himself. Yep. Go to YachtRock.com for a very useful experience. We're all dying. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thank you to producer Matt Brousseau. 99. So this was written by... Uh, Jonathan Kane. Yeah, is that the dude you met outside the show? No, that was Ross Valerie. He's yeah, useless. Right. He's a bass player. I wonder, he's been around from the w- beginning. I wonder if uh, Jonathan Kane was married to Tane Kane at the, at the time, who became a softcore Cinemax. Star. No, no, he divorced his wife um, because he was. He says because he was on tour so much, and then he became super religious. And he said actually hmm. about the song faithfully that it was a gift from God. Hmm. Because he fucking hated his wife. Yeah. And, and he also said that you could replace uh, whatever, uh, you could replace yours with God. I'm forever God's faithful. And it'd be a Christian song. Um, there's a great there's a great quote about Christian music. Are from, we ending this from, podcast from or King, no? No, I'm still going. Okay. From King of the Hill, there's a great quote about Christian music uh, where Hank Hill says to the Christian band, you're not making Christianity better. You're just making music worse. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Star Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.